You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. For the next hour, you're listening to the Classic Auto Mall Podcast, broadcast from the Classic Auto Mall Studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Classic Auto Mall is a world-class facility conveniently located just an hour west of Philadelphia on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. The building is over 336,000 square feet and is full of over 650 classics for sale and 300 barn finds on display. Check out all the inventory on the website, ClassicAutomall.com. If you have any questions for our host or guest, email us at podcast at ClassicAutomall.com. Now on to the show with our host, the president of Classic Auto Mall, Stuart Houghton. Good morning, listeners, and good morning, Steve, and good morning, Ethan. Good morning. How are you all this morning? Nice to see We're everybody. Good. It's a overcast day. They keep lying to me. What's wrong with the weather thing? We're we're actually recording this on the day that Carlisle's last day. Spring, uh, spring. Spring. Carlisle. I was there the past couple of days at oh, the yeah? auction. Yeah. It was uh, good. They had a great turnout. They were selling a lot of cars. Um, they were, you know, mid-level cars, which is, you know, mm-hmm. that's great because it's affordable for everyone, you know. Um, and they have a lot of great bargains. And then they have some high-end cars as well, too. And they did a great job. I bet you they were selling 85%. And they all, most of those cars have reserves. So it's not like uh, some of the auctions that are no reserve and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, they're going to guarantee so they sell. They have to hit a certain number. If you don't know what a reserve in an auction is, it means that there is a minimum price that the car will sell for. And if it doesn't meet that price, then the seller is not uh, obligated to sell it. If it does meet that price, then they're obligated to sell it. And they take the fees out and the buyer's premium and the seller's commission and all that good stuff. So That's something they do on Meekum that you don't see on Barrett-Jackson. Not to, Correct. Not Barrett-Jackson to. is all no reserve. Right. Well, all no reserve to a degree. They do have some high, high, high end, like half a million dollar uh-huh. cars that, that do have reserves from time to time. But I haven't noticed it as much. And we'll have to ask our, our guest about that because, uh, today, no, right. today right. on the show, we're having Steve Mignante. So, uh, but anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks to the Pat Travers band for the uh, wonderful music. Uh, just a side note here. We lost a really dear friend this week. Uh, Andy Stone was a senior car specialist at uh, Worldwide Group and, uh, all around good guy and, and a mentor to so many people in the classic car hobby and just a really great guy and, and worldwide's auction is this weekend and he just passed away a couple of days oh, ago wow. so god you know blessings to everybody involved and in, uh you know trying to pull off an auction after you lose a dear friend and mentor uh can't be easy mm-hmm. and uh so we wish his family and friends and all that and uh, and godspeed to andy um also another announcement we're uh, getting into vintage racing what? <laughs> By the way, <laughs> not uh, the hat's not going on my head though. It's going on uh, my buddy from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, who I grew up with, Harry Dinwiddie, uh, who's been racing since forever. Um, he's mostly SCCA stuff and mm-hmm. HSR. He's in HSR now, Historic Sports Car Racing. Okay, and he's racing a uh, seventy big block Corvette in the GTO over two point five liter class. And uh, Harry's just a great guy and a character, and one of those people that. Uh, uh, has been involved in things for years. So we're going to sponsor him at Road Atlanta, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, and then Road America this summer, and then the Chattanooga uh, Grand Prix, which sounds funny. Chattanooga has a Grand Prix. <laughs> it does. Uh, but it, they've done a great job. A couple of years they've put it on so far. 
and uh, we're going to be a sponsor of that for uh, this coming season for three races and then next year who knows we'll see how it goes and uh, uh, see if it uh, makes sense for us and uh, that kind of thing so there's a lot of collector car guys in the world who are are into uh, historic and vintage racing and so um, you know it's 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 a perfect marketing target for us uh, to uh, to to talk to and to be a part of so and some of the new inventory this week we've gotten in my goodness gracious we've got a wonderful 72 el camino uh, it's got a rebuilt 454 with dual quads uh frame off restore vintage ac and heat uh, rebuilt 700 r4 transmission um got another shelby gt500 in a tw- 2010 mm-hmm. black black 15,000 original miles how do you only put 15,000 miles on a 12 year old car? <laughs> You've got to either have a large collection. So, because that is just a blast of a car to drive. It's got 540 horsepower, six speed manual transmission. Um, it would be hard to not put uh, 15,000 miles a year on it. So, um, but one of the new cars that are in inventory this week, um, also got a 65 Mustang fastback. And, uh, which is interesting about that car. It's an A code 289. It's in springtime yellow. Which you don't always see that in a recording in progress. Uh, Mustang. Yep. Uh, more, normally, they're a, a more primary type color. The springtime yellow was usually reserved for a convertible or a coupe. You you would think, uh, but this one is an original mm-hmm. uh, springtime yellow. Uh, uh, color beautiful car yeah beautiful car and you know fastback mustangs you know <laughs> i mean that's, that's fastback's the way to go yeah it's it's just so cool looking it's steve, just, steve might have another opinion we'll, we'll get to that in a minute yeah we got steve uh, joining us here in just a minute we get to our uh housekeeping here uh what else do we get oh we got a really beautiful 62 mga uh 1600 mark ii one family owned since 1980 um, which becomes part of the family. It's like a dog, you know. I, I, mean, I don't mean it's like a dog the way it performs. It's it's like a member of your family, a revered golden retriever or something. It becomes part of the family, and 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 that makes it difficult to sell, especially if it's an estate or a, a widow or something, mm-hmm. and it's something that they've had all these years. And you know, it's it's traumatic to to see those leave. And and that's this one, you know, since mm-hmm. 1980 and uh, restored in 2000. It's black with a wine colored in interior and uh so anyway some of the new inventory we have in and of course also inventory we have uh trucks are so hot right now it's just unbelievable how hot the truck market is and continues to be and we got a pretty cool one in you saw that <laughs> we'll talk more about that on a on, a, on another episode but uh let's bring in uh, our friend steve mignante uh who is joining us today from uh, his home and where would you be today steve i'm in north brookfield massachusetts oh goodness how's the weather up there Actually, you know, where it was spring has sprung and it is now, it's like, you know, 55 outside. It'll be 70 and 80. We'll be complaining before we know it. But a month ago, it was 20 and. So anyway, well, Steve uh, is, uh, gosh, you wear a lot of hats, automotive journalist, uh, automotive historian, drag racer, car builder, TV host, model car builder. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that seems to be quite the passion that I, uh, see that, uh, in pictures and videos that you've done that, uh, how'd you get into the model car end of it? Well, you know, like, like many kids, it all started out with, uh, you know, matchbox cars. I'd get off the school bus Fridays. Mom would have a matchbox for my brother and I. And within 10 minutes, I would have traded my brother uh, a bag of M&Ms for his matchbox. So, you know, and of course, matchbox cars led to Hot Wheels cars, which were a little cooler, nicer wheels. And then you start saying, well, I, what about the engine? And you discover these 125th scale plastic kits. And then that's where you, most people learn what an alternator is, what a leaf spring is, because it's on the instruction sheet, alternate to our blue 
to fan belt, you know? Wow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and I, did, I just saw one. Steve sent me a picture. Steve, our, our producer, Steve, just sent me a picture of an altar that you just built. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, in fact, it's, it's right here. I, I like it. Like <laughs> nice. Yes. And, and what I do with these things, I, I alter the wheelbase myself, which is to say that I move the front wheel axles uh, forward under the body and cut the body and then do body work in wow. 120 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. I love full-size altered wheelbase cars, but models are a little easier to build. Well, exactly. You can have more in your collection as long as you have the, you know, the models don't only take up so much space. Now, what, what kind of, t- how many hours does it take to build something like that? Well, I will say that, you know, there's a couple ways to build. And, and in some cases, a lot of people get the wrong idea that they have to build something that's a contest winner with working accelerator linkage and opening doors. And, you know, that can take years, you know. And I sometimes, I'll buy the, the latest model kit, get a tube of super glue and some zap get, this is kicker stuff, which, you know, if you, if cement, model cement, that stuff takes overnight, you know, who can right. do that? But uh, super glue takes five minutes. If you're too impatient for that, you can actually get the stuff called zip kicker, which makes it within five seconds so you can build a model kit in in five hours in front of tv at wow. night just to sort of break the the, the, the log jam but sure. your model to paint them in detail in probably about two months for a serious effort right now a lot of your models are not painted what is the well, reasoning behind that yeah, it works either way. Like I say, this the, we call it funny car folk art or whatever whatever it is. But the ones that you build just sort of to break the log jam where you're sort of timing on a model, uh, you might just it's just blowing together out of the box with no paint, with super glue. And so I've kind of known for doing that. But I always say a lot of people buy a model kit. Now they're 35 bucks these days. They're not, they're not 225 anymore. But I think accounting for inflation, it kind of adds up about right. Sure. But, um, but a lot of people say, I'm not going to waste that kit to build it out of the, you know, out of the box. But you can do it either way. Sure. No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it sounds no. like a great way to pass your time and uh, keeps you out of trouble and off the streets, right? You know? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and of course, I, I imagine that free time is a is a you know not plentiful for you. You've got a lot on your plate, including the uh, yeah. the Barrett Jackson. Since what two thousand five, you've been doing that, right? Yeah, that's right. I've done uh, gosh, I mean, it's eighteen years ago, something like that. We just did the Florida auction yep. in uh, Beach and went very well. Um, when I'm not doing that, I am self employed, sure. and so I also do the uh, the, the junkyard crawl on my YouTube channel. In fact, yesterday. We spent the entire day in Burnson, Massachusetts, right. uh, shooting ten videos, and uh, it's it's kind of a nice thing to have. Um, you know, the YouTube is an amazing resource. If, if yeah. you if you have a cat that you love to groom and you make videos, and the cat's kind of fun to watch, you can find yourself with an international audience within a couple of months. Absolutely, you know, so. It's, yeah, YouTube's wonderful. And you know, one of the things is, you know, a lot of times the decision makers at network television or cable sometimes maybe aren't the best people deciding what's next for your career. Right. <laughs> and beyond that, you know, they like the Junkyard Show is a really tough sell. And finally, Motor Trend got took the bait. Right. Um, but with that said, a few networks before that didn't get it. Well, our viewers don't like old rusty cars. I'm like, right. wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, so YouTube sets you free from that kind of stuff. You just go right to the viewer. Sure. It's kind of nice. Well, and we have a large collection of barn finds here at our place here, and it is almost the most popular part of our facility. We have a 1923 Chevrolet Weedman camper motorhome that's in barn find. It's like the most popular thing we have here. So, you know, it's one of those things that uh, I always thought, and and I'll take like your opinion on this as well too. There's so many shows that are cookie cutter shows out there. They're all yeah. doing the same thing. And I like the shows that have a difference, whether it's Wayne Carini's Chasing Classic Cars, mm-hmm. because it's different. It's not, yeah. you know, you don't know what he paid for it. You know what it sold for, but it's not about the dollars or it's not about the deadline. It's about, yeah. you know, 
that kind of thing. That's that seems to me that that would make more sense to do shows that were more like that than the build shows that we see. Yeah, one of the problems is that in, in many cases, the people who run networks and, and think about production come from the world of uh, more mainstream television, and they think that there has to be a story arc, a beginning, middle, and tension resolution. Right. Come on, you know, I mean, that's what we're thinking. Now, if you're if you're selling you know soap commercials and it's a soap opera, sure, you got to keep the ball rolling. But what's the big intrigue? Who's messing with who? And right. whatever. But so a lot of people think they have to apply that to the automotive audience. And in some cases you do, uh, but it's like a pizza. It has different flavors, you know, and if they're all doing the same thing. Now, the trouble is the stakes are pretty high. For most any produced television show, there's, you know, tens of thousands per episode spent, more than that. And so the stakes are high. They have to do stuff that's not edgy or, or they don't take risks. So they go with what seems to have worked last year and the year before that. That's why we get a lot of the same stuff over and over because it's safe. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, sure. But at the sure. same time, there's room around the edges for other stuff that eventually takes over. Right. But, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, look at where you're going to get your baseball coming up and football and other things. I mean, you know, it's YouTube and, and, and all these online based networks, if you will, Apple TV and that kind of thing. And so I think there is room for things like that. And I think that, you know, we, we look at, um, what's going on in the world of, you know, the auctions and online auctions and live auctions. And you can go to most every website and watch their live auction, even if it's just a small regional auction. Yeah. But I mean, it, nobody does it better than you guys. And I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here. <laughs> I'm telling you, you guys are entertaining and knowledgeable, but, Man, I mean, that's got to be a challenge to spec all those cars, to to be ready for them as they come up. And then you're on your feet for God knows how many hours in a day. Well, you know, I will say that, you know, I mean, uh, with anything, you can do it right or get it close, put it like that. I'm not saying I do it right, but preparation is key. You know, ask anybody who does anything. And, uh, you know, you get a little preparation goes a long way. Yeah, sure. No. Yeah. You know, it keeps you on track. Because in the course of like an eight-hour auction day, if you don't go in there with any notes or any preparation, you're going to start to guess. And then you're going to step in it. And I always say that, you know, cars deserve more than a guess. They really do. And, you know, if you're not ready to, um, you know, to do a little bit of preparation, well, let somebody else in who, who will, yeah, you know. Absolutely. And that's, that's the key thing. And we have four minutes per car to, to get it right or really screw up. You know what I mean? So, so we, we try to not do the, uh, <laughs> the other. <laughs> when we yeah. return, we'll uh, return with Steve Mignante and discuss more about uh, his uh, television career and other careers and uh, YouTube channels and all that good stuff. We'll see you in a minute. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we are back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studios in beautiful 
overcast Morgantown, Pennsylvania. They keep lying about the weather around here. The past two days we've been at Carlisle and it was cold and rainy yesterday and it was cold and rainy the day before. And today it looks like it's kind of cold and not quite so rainy, but, uh, you know, That's Pennsylvania for yeah, you. I know, I know everybody says that. And they say, if you're, if you're complaining about the weather, why did you move to the North? <laughs> well, when they say complain about it, it'll, it'll change. It'll change the next hour. Right. And of course that's been said, uh, anywhere. So right. we're talking with Steve Mignante, the, the, um, one of the hosts or color guy. What's your official title at the Barrett Jackson auction. I guess vehicle commentator. Yeah. You know? you I like that. Yeah. 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 So um what's I mean, it's gotta be a great gig, but you know what what stands out in your mind? I mean, you know, we've had some you've had some memorable moments. The F eighty five Oldsmobile comes to mind yeah. that was from years ago. But I mean a lot of recent memorable moments. Is there something that stands out in your mind as something that really just caught your attention? Well, you know, there's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a thing where from second, one second to the next, uh, you know, I can get as excited about an MGA as a Daytona charger, you know, but, uh, I, I it is interesting to see. And I have to ask, and, I, and by the way, you know, I'm, I'm self-employed and, and I don't work for Bear Jackson. Sure. I'm hired by, yeah, but, you know, I'm hired by, what is it, uh, A&E, right. uh, this year before it was Discovery, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, there's been Fox Sports, uh, Speed Channel, that kind of stuff. But, but I'm basically hired by the production company just to discuss the vehicle. And, uh, one thing that's interesting to note is that in some cases you get the feeling that Bear Jackson doesn't reflect the market, but maybe creates it. And in, a, in an interesting, when I say market, uh, and by the way, I'm the last person to ask what a car's <laughs> because it's just I don't yeah. I don't really think about that you know sure. you know but with that said you know it is interesting how sometimes when the show puts the the, the spotlight on a thing like the Amphicar the VW Microbus the Austin Healey three thousand GT now the Bronco and it's interesting how sometimes when uh, you know one sells for a lot of money suddenly a lot of folks run through the door and it happens over and over which if you ask me variety is the spice of life it was all fifty seven Shelbys and Shelby Mustangs or fifty seven Chevys right and Shelby, it would be kind of like but I love to see an Imperial come up there or, or a Mercedes three hundred uh, you know SL or you know all all that stuff but it is true the Bronco is is hot and beyond that i gotta say the cars of the 70s and the 80s are getting their due the fox mustangs and irox and they're you know i guess if you live long enough you'll be that guy who says i remember you could buy a 32 chevy for 50 bucks in a junkyard well now we're talking five liter mustangs which were 800 dollars cars which are now eighteen thousand in nice shape and climbing you know i think a lot of us used to say oh barrett jackson's an anomaly and it's this and that but you're right the amphicars the microbuses they all were set by barrett jackson and they all created that that market but you know it's it's one of those things that uh you know nobody people say to me i've been in the business a long time too what's my car worth it's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it and you're willing to sell it for at the end of the day it really doesn't matter we put prices on cars and they say well they're overpriced on your lot well i argue that if you went to a non uh, or an auction with a reserve as opposed to what bear jackson is that if you knew the reserve on every car that when it started out on the block you would say well i'm not going to that auction because they're all overpriced well reality kicks in within 90 seconds with us it's 90 days we have to uh to change the market so i think it's important for uh for people to understand that uh, and also because just because you have one that sort of looks like it doesn't mean that yours is going to bring the same kind of money that is correct you know and you know some folks you know i, I the first time i did the bear jackson it was uh, was the 2005 florida auction and the two months before 
before that, I was watching from my home in El Monte, California, the Scottsdale auction. And Alan DeCadene was was one of the guys. And the Boss 429 pulls up. The hood goes up. And Alan, great, great guy, British guy, says, well, that's quite a lump. And that's what he had to say. <laughs> and they go, well, that's a Boss 429. Is it the magnesium valve cover version or the aluminum? And is how pure is it? The smog system's still there? And, you know, it, it was cool. But with that said, it's a thing where, um, you know, the values of these cars are, it is true, worth what people are going to pay for them. And it is true that for the most part, Bear Attraction does tend to bring the cream of the crop, especially in Scottsdale. I mean, the best examples. Absolutely. But, and I say this too, people are, you know, oh, they're ruining the market. I, you know, I can't buy a car for nothing anymore. But the reality is, you know, a lot of folks who are buying them for nothing were painting them purple and plumbing them <laughs> and beyond. They weren't being appreciated. They're being crushed. I, I moved to California in 1990 when Unocal, which you know, a great oil company, right. there was one of the crush campaigns oh, and cars wow. called gross polluters and clunkers. Wow. That's what they were called. Now they're investments. And I say, who cares how much? You know, let them be worth a trillion dollars as long as they're not being crushed. Exactly. No matter what they are, whether it's a six-cylinder Firebird, which we just got in with a straight six, and it's got a 250 cubic or 250 badge on the front uh, fender, which normally would say a 350, and you look at it and go two. <laughs> 50. That's you do a double take almost on that. But I is, love cars like that. And and, and yeah, I love is an overhead cam? Yes, is it's an overhead cam. And oh yeah, cool. yeah, so very yeah. cool car. But I tell you what surprised me the most about Bear Jackson, or has surprised me the past few years, is the resto mod Corvettes. Yes. Oh yes. my god. I mean seven hundred thousand yeah. dollars. That's yeah. I, astonishing. I, I, I have mixed feelings about that. I, I, I love them. And it, we are in a place now where the Roadster Shop and all these come to Art Morrison. You can buy, I mean, a state of the art uh, chassis, suspension, and it'll roll under your fiberglass body. My only fear, and I'm seeing it a lot, is that Bloomington Gold 327 Power Glide cars are being taken apart. And, you know, and I, I hope the chassis is being set aside somewhere for maybe a later reunion or who knows what. But, you know, I will say that uh, it, it's, it's, it's amazing and wonderful. I will also say, you know, I'm, I'm I'm 57, and in, in the mid-70s and in the early 80s, what people were often doing to cars, uh, you can either compliment or insult the car, right? You know, the, the age of graphics and doing goofy stuff and whatnot, you know, it's all to taste. But with that said, uh, the standard of taste and execution now is amazing. Right. I mean, there's no Bondo, there's no doorknobs being used for cutting, you know, then the louvers in, in the roof and stuff. It's, those things are over, which is nice because people are respecting the car and, and compliment Implementing it with modern suspensions and keeping the body lines as they were and maybe sharpening them a little bit. But it's nice to see that the modifications now at least aren't moving backwards. Because, you know, there were some things that were done in the day that, I mean, it's all to taste. And I own an altered wheelbase Ford Fairmont, so I, I can't talk about anything, you know. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> that's funny, a Fairmont. I love that, yeah. though. That's really cool. The uh, <laughs> What's interesting is a lot of our consigners who bring us uh, resto mods and, and modified cars have all the original parts that they kept. So they got smart about it, and they were getting smarter about it. However... Yeah. Our property room is starting to get out of hand because, you know, yes. we've got one car and there's three fenders, a bumper, uh, you know, the seats, the original radio, all of a sudden. The whole So our 336,000 square foot building sounds big until you start doing that and having that. Our key room alone is the size of the first showroom we ever had, right. just with keys hanging on the walls. So, but, uh, but anyway, so you, you started out like everybody models and matchbox 
trucks and all that. But but I, I read somewhere uh, that you had bought a interesting car back in the day uh, that you even knew enough about checking the VIN code and all that back in I guess in the seventies when none of us were thinking about that stuff. What what prompted you to think about matching numbers and all that stuff back in the day? Well, I well in nineteen eighty maybe you might be referring to the Hemi Charger. Yes, nineteen. 19- yeah, 1986, my grandma passed away, left me $10,000. My dad said, you put that in the bank. Uh, yeah, dad. So I, I put it in my bank, so to speak. And, you know, I, I was into Hemi cars. And in, in the mid-80s, we all know that uh, a $10,000 Hemi car was kind of the top of the pile. You could buy 383 rotors for 3500 bucks. You could buy beaters for 800 still. And in Massachusetts, they were rusty. You know, they were kind of junk on their fifth owner or worse, you know. <laughs> When I found this Hemi Charger, it was 10000 bucks. It was in primer, but it was a numbers-matching car. Um, so I, I bought it, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. I drove it around. I didn't fit it. I bought it in a gray primer. It was a numbers-matching car. It had hooker headers and Edelbrock, uh, well, Carter Competition Series carbs. But the original intake was there. But because they had larger air, air horns, you couldn't run the chrome dome air cleaner. It had these dumb little chrome things on it. So, But with that said, I drove that car for three years and sold it for $16,000. So I made six grand, you know. And I don't need it again. My, my, the thing that happened with that was that I realized if I ever did blow that engine up, I'd regret it. I didn't. I treated it properly. I never over it. It was an automatic car, too. So it was really not much you can do to hurry right. without really did being dumb. But I also realized that uh, I don't have the gene that requires perfection. So I never wanted to spend the, the 10,000 bucks to get the paint done. You know, back then it would have been five grand. It needed, you know, to be done and stuff like that. So, but I get it. And perfection is a wonderful thing. And yes, let's respect the cars, but I like a good clone because those are the kind of cars that you can kind of enjoy and blow the engine up and put a better one in. And you haven't really gone backwards. You know? Exactly. A lot of Cobra owners own replica Cobras. That yes. own real Cobras have a replica that they enjoy and drive. Maybe it's a factory five or a, one of the, uh, you know, the better kit cars that, that are out there because, uh, they know that, uh, driving, I mean, I, I, it's wonderful to see the Colorado Grand and these type of events where they're driving these cars. And, and, and at a Concorde Elegance, the tiebreaker is if you drove it in the tour the day before. Um, so yeah. I love that, but, but nerve wracking has got to be an understatement when it comes to driving a two million dollar Duesenberg or a three million dollar. You know, I mean, and, and I, you know, I, let's face it. I mean, you know, the muscle car thing; those cars were not meant to be more than snacks for young people to chew up and spit out. You know, a GTO, whatever it might be, or a Super B has a cartoon on the side. For God, it's, it's not, it's not a Rolls Royce Silver Cloud. You know, but it is. I mean, now it's worth more than a Rolls Royce Silver Cloud in yeah. some cases. But with that said, you know, they were meant to be chewed up and, and spat out. And thankfully, they, you know, they, they. They're respected and under, understood because they resonate with us then and now. Um, but it is true that, um, you know, they're, they're just cars. And sometimes when I see these rotisserie Hemi e-body convertibles, I can hear the car screaming, let me out, let me out. You know, but at the same time, it's, it's good that it won't be wrapped around a tree or something goofy tomorrow or turned into a tr- Hemi cars. People used to yank the motors and put them in tractor pullers in, in the early 80s. I mean, I couldn't, you know, it was just a weird thing. You needed a big, crazy engine or a dragster or whatever it is. And the Hemi shell was just thrown away, you know, or put a 18 in it and, you know, uh, you know, so um, it, so the, the price, the barrier, it prevents maybe some folks from from not accessing and ruining the cars like me. I, I took a right. nice Ford Fairmont and also the wheelbase on it, <laughs> you know, but uh, well, exactly. But, I mean, I, I bought in 1978, I bought a 75 Trans Am because I didn't know any better. I got a 400 automatic. Had I known about an SD 455 from a right. year earlier, which yes. was probably not much more money, I probably would have gotten that. But I wasn't didn't understand all that matching number stuff and back there. And yeah. it, it didn't come into fashion until even later 
later than you did. But I remember when my parents got divorced, I tried to guilt my mom into a Hemi Superbird on Chapman Highway in Knoxville, Tennessee with a force wow. at $3,500. And the guy said, yeah. I can't give the damn thing away. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and so yeah. it's amazing to, to see how that far that has come and how, but you know, I understand in, in getting back to resto mods, I get it. You know, if you get in a 69 DZ302 Z28 with four, four, four gears, when you get into fourth and you're trying to run down the highway, right. that thing, it sounds like it's going to explode. Yes, that's right. And so that's you right. get a resto mod. It feels like the car that you got out of. You have the cool looks. I, I get it. I, you know, and I just, I, like you, I hope they don't just butcher up good cars to get to it, you know. But when the, when a Corvette brings $700,000 as a resto mod, I mean, what yeah. is the sum of the parts of a car at 700000 Exactly. So, right. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's the great, it's the great profit motor, man. It's, it's our wonderful capitalist society. Absolutely. Hallelujah. You know? Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, just people out there who want to buy that, that's fine. Sure. You know, let them enjoy it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So let's talk about original cars and especially muscle cars and, and, you know, documenting these things can be difficult. They can stamp numbers in engines yeah. anymore. Uh, tell people a little bit about the process of build sheets and things like that and, and the importance of those things. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny. A little piece of paper can, can be the difference between a, you know, a $10,000 car and a $100,000 car in some cases, you know. But it is true that in, in General Motors in particular, it wasn't until 1972 that you knew which engine uh, went into your car. You know, it would be an even number for a V8 car, an odd number for the uh, six-cylinder cars, um, even a one in the case of the Chevy 2 would be a four-banger under the hood from 62 to 70. Crazy. But anyway, in 72, finally, the fifth spot tells you which engine came in the car. So in the realm of the SS396 Chevelle from 69 up or the Z28, they're easily and readily copied. And so that's fine as long as everybody understands that they're they're paying, you know, whatever a copy is worth. And here's the thing. Some people say, you know, why is an original car worth three times as much? Well, I don't, it doesn't really make sense, but it does at the same time. It's like coin collecting. A 1909 SVD penny, SVDD penny is just a penny. Right. No. So it's, it's the same thing, you know, or a 55 double die or whatever it might be for coin. Person. You know, it's just a penny. Well, it depends on who's listening and who cares. And if you don't want to play, you don't have to spend it. Hopefully, I find it might change. Exactly. That's 100%. <laughs> so, when we return, we'll uh, uh, finish or talk about in segment three some other things car related with uh, Steve Mignanti, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio, live every Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
And we are back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studios in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Look at the crowds coming in. My goodness gracious. Saturday morning, nothing else to do. A little, a little rain outside and you come in and see 700 cars for sale and 300 barn finds on display. And you know, our admission charges makes it, you know, we tries to weed some people out because we charge zero to get in. So, <laughs> but we were talking to Steve Magnante and we were talking about build sheets and numbers matching. What's interesting about a build sheet for a car, for those of you who don't know, it's it's the it's the diagram to put the car together. It's the color, it's the radio, it's all that. And they weren't supposed to be kept with the car, but they didn't have anywhere else to put them. So where would they put them, Steve? Where were they found? Well, yeah, yeah. In, in Chrysler, they sometimes called the track sheet. It would make its way down the line with the car. And in many cases, there's many six or seven of them per vehicle. And they would tell the workstation what to put on and what not to put on. And then they'd often toss them in their trash or slip them behind the seat onto the carpet. Um, a lot of little things on top of the glove compartment. And sometimes um, you can find them without looking for them. In fact, I've got a 62 Dodge Police Pursuit Dart that I bought in Texas. Had a chip here. It was it had 65 pounds of rodent droppings and just dust and stuff. <laughs> but a, a pretty clean car. If you go to my YouTube channel, you can see the product project REM charger. Well, here's the thing. I had my shop vac going, and I'm, I'm working away under the front seat. I hear the sound of paper fluttering. Oh. I stop. I stuck half the build sheet into the shop vac. Oh. And I, the last thing I would have thought inside that car, which the windows were down, was in Texas for the last 23 years with the windows down, but the, the build sheet remained under the seat, tucked into the springs, and I stuck half of it into the vacuum. Thank goodness the stuff that showed police package was still there. And yes, I, I opened the shop vac, looked inside, but it was so brittle as it made its way through the corrugated tube, it probably just became powder. Sure. So, but so shop, uh, <laughs> build sheets can turn up wherever, yeah. but often under carpets and, and back seats. Uh, pull the back seat out generally, gently, and then when you see it trapped between the springs and the foam, get four people to help you lift up the four corners of that and then have somebody gingerly pull it out. Don't try to do it on your own. It's going to tear yeah. or shred, right. you know, but right. uh, but they, they turn up. And, I mean, almost every car from the six-cylinder Nova to uh, a Honda Civic or where I think imports have build sheets too, but sure. most generally American cars have a paper build sheet because it's part of the function of building it with human beings. Now, that there's more there's more robots and workstations, so I bet your paper may not be as, as prevalent, but sure. up till the 80s, build sheets are classically found in just about everything. And you know what the saddest part about this hobby is, is that when someone passes on and their car gets sold uh, through the estate or collection or whatever, is that there's probably in attics all across America boxes of protecto plates and build yeah. sheets and all kinds of documentation from cars that'll just get thrown out at some point in time. Yeah. That's such a yeah. shame. Oh, it pains it me to, to think about that. And uh, and they don't know any better. I mean, even even Thunderbird hardtops end up in attics and people don't even, you know, they don't get sent along with the with the new ride so to speak so uh so keep an eye out for that paperwork and if you've got a collection of cars make sure everybody knows where everything is you know we we talk about estate planning here a lot because we deal with it a lot and it's important to have a real serious plan when you when you have these cars because i say we are just stewards of these cars and and they're only ours for a short period of time and they're going to go to somebody else and you got to treat them right yeah you know it's true so 
so we were, I was talking to you on the break about, uh, your writing and I guess, uh, that's a, a dying breed of, <laughs> of careers. Well, you know, yeah, you know, they, when they have it, they call the internet a disruptive technology or something like that, whatever it might be. And it is the future. It's the present. It's a wonderful tool, but the age old industry of paper and ink car magazines, which began in the 1920s, but here in this country, largely in 48 with Robert Peterson and Hot Rod in 49 Motor Trend, which grew, grew into Peterson Public. Well, back, I think it was 2019, one Friday afternoon, uh, there was a gathering. Hey, folks, uh, building-wide meeting at Peterson, or whatever it was called that week, but, you know, talking about children. And uh, 150 people let, sent home, and 19 out of 22 titles were summarily scrapped, and there was no farewell issue. Rod and Custom, uh, Car Crafts, um, you know, a lot of great titles were just unplugged. Now, here's the thing. They kind of knew it was coming. Right. The only ones right. remaining are Motor Trend, Hot Rod, and Four Wheeler. Those are the three books that remain. And but the other nineteen were just unplugged. Now here's the thing: a lot of folks were freelance writers like me. Um, so there's, you can write for the internet, but the magazine thing uh, was dealt a severe blow in 2019 when sure. that thing happened. It was April or sorry, it was December sixth, I think it was, day before Pearl Harbor. Yeah, it's kind of it's <laughs> equally equally traumatic in a way. With that said. Like with vinyl records are kind of a thing. They'll never come back to where they were. But I think paper's not gone. Of course, Hemmings is still very alive and well. The Collector Car and Muscle Machines, great titles. Sure. And there's a thing called In the Garage Media. They do all Chevy Performance, classic high-performance trucks. So paper's not dead. Sure. Um, and we may see it come back, you know, because usually you don't realize what you had until it's gone. Yeah, it's, that's it's so true. Zero. Yeah, baby boomers, people who are 1964 and earlier. I'm, I'm on the caboose of the baby boom train, 157. I still like a magazine. I collect superstar. I still buy paper magazines online. And sure. I love them. You know, and so I won't say we've seen the last of them. They're not a growth industry, but, right. um, well, you know. I mean, you see uh, uh, newer uh, high-end publications coming out, uh, uh, Magneto and Octane and a couple of high-ends. I think the Audrain Museum people are doing a magazine. And, of course, Sports Car Market uh, yeah. is one of my favorite magazines. And yeah. it, I still – of course, magazines and, – and you are so right with what you said because if I look behind my credenza on my desk over there, I have a stack of magazines to get to. And right. it's getting so big. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and, and I know there's stuff in there that I want to see. So so I can't just summarily throw them out. You know, the old thing is, as they used to say, with car parts in your garage, you should put a date on the box and seal it up. And if you haven't opened that box in three years, you can't look in it. You just have to throw it out without knowing what was in it. And because you didn't, yeah. if you didn't need it in three years, are you ever going to need it? I don't think that way. I'm not built that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad used to tell me if you were going to swap me to it, he said, if you weren't thinking about that three seconds ago, you don't need it. Yeah. Well, that's a boring way to live. I say I as well, too. My dad said to me one one time after he threw out a bunch of car magazines when I was had moved out of the the house he said you know if you just if you just saved all the money you spent on car magazines you could have bought a Ferrari <laughs> so but here's the thing old magazines can be worth five ten bucks a lot now exactly. you know, so. yeah exactly so I, I was reading uh, part of your bio and I, it was funny you were talking about your uh, dad's eight ten sedan with a two point six liter Z engine in it and a four speed that yes. was kind of a cool car in the day that maybe a lot of people didn't know about. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the Nissan Maxima became both the integrity or these goofy, you know, the, basically the BMW and Mercedes fighters from Japan, but they had humble beginnings with the, uh, the Datsun 810, which became the Maxima. So my dad bought one in 1977. It just so happened he was a stick shifter. He had Volkswagen deals. He was not like a 442 right. uh, rotor <laughs> pistol grip guy. He was an economy car driver. He used to say cars were, are forgetting from point A to point B. Right. You'd see me reading on Henny Roadrunners in these seven-year-old hot rod magazines. Steve, don't stop. That was dangerous. Kind of right. But, you know, I never, whatever. But uh, so he would buy cars with manual transmissions. We happened to get this 810 with a, a 2.4, the inline 280Z engine in it, or 260Z it was, sure. and a stick shift. So I, used to, I learned how to power shift in that car. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> it was a pretty tough little car. And today, a car like that, pristine, if you can find one, is ten grand anyway. Yeah, and look at the, like the Celicas. You watch on, on yeah. some of these auction sites. I don't know if you pay much attention to bring a trailer. and, and I those, know all of that. Yeah, 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 it's a pretty amazing uh, the format, and especially for oddball stuff like that. And I say oddball, but a Celica ST from 1971, which you don't hardly see at all on the road or anywhere in anymore uh i don't know what happened and they were built well so i'm not sure why they're not seen as much i guess they just were unloved for so long that they they're inexpensive cars and they generally they went from you know frugal owners to less frugal owners and into the junkyard i think that was one they didn't go up to the mercedes owner right exactly when when they were new and used you know it's usually third or fourth owner to determine what's going to happen car it's usually junkyard time you know high school parking lot and then junkyard yeah yeah, high school parking lot has to fit in there somewhere well i when i was growing up i had a great little car that uh i they're starting to become collectible i had a a 1988 honda crx si in red and that was a dynamite car and i ran the heck out of that thing and uh, it never gave me any trouble changed the oil i think i changed a set of tires and a battery and put 190,000 miles on that thing and it was a blast to drive and fun to drive and you're starting to see those with low mileage like you were talking about 80s cars they're they're here they come you know you know we i do a thing called the junkyard crawl and yesterday we we're in burnison bass at a burnison auto wrecking and i found um i did a feature on a car my, my videos by the way i spend between six and 12 minutes just walking around the car i don't try to buy it don't try to flip it you know i say if you dive on a titanic there's no re- no no reason to raise it if you have a good tour guide, exactly. you don't have to raise them. As soon as you raise money, you, you lose the whole point. It goes away. We found a 1984 Toyota Celica GTS, which is basically a Supra from the firewall back, including the disc brakes and a pivot rear suspension. Although it has four inches less wheelbase from the cowl forward because the Supra's dual overhead cam six is not there. It has the single overhead cam four, but it has the same wheels, wheel arches, five-speed stick. It's a special car. The GTS Celica. It was a poor man's Supra. Yeah. I call it the Supra. <laughs> and then, that video launches next week. But uh, again, but that car was rusted. It was gone. It's dead. Of course, a white car, original bait, sort of, but it was gone. But that car in pristine, 20 grand, yeah. suddenly. And tell, and tell our listeners the name of your YouTube channel, how they get to it and access it. Yeah, sure. It's the Steve Mignanti YouTube channel. It's oh, free. <laughs> Easy enough. Yeah, yeah. Or Steve Mags, <laughs> either sure. one. The Mag- with Steve Mag's YouTube channel, he'll bring you to it. And every day there's a new video. It's about 200 or so, so binge away. And it's free, and and, uh, and it's just, you know, I kind of just want to do it Barrett Jackson, but on the other side of the pretty scale. Sure. Not shiny, sure. but but pretty. But but we try to just show what's cool about cars, everything from a cement mixer to vans. We did a, a town and country in 1998, I think it was, Chrysler Town and Country all-wheel drive. I which never has, knew that. 
you know, a weird deal. It, still, it had leaf springs in the back. Trouble was, the minivan was was flawed in a sense by its platform. Leaf springs in the back, so that became expensive. So when you add a rear axle to that, what do you do? Do you take the eight and a quarter from the pickup truck line? No, big, heavy. What do you do then? Well, you create an aluminum differential, which is bolted to the floor. And then there's half shafts, which go to each wheel, but there's still a tube connecting the wheels. So it's right. a wheel, I think, or whatever they call that. The Dion. That's exactly what it was. That's right. I was, <laughs> thank you. I was trying to remember that. <laughs> but actually, it's a modified Dion. The D, that usually has brakes incorporated. Whatever. With that said, uh, you know, quite, if you see all-wheel drive on a town and country or any minivan, it's got some weird stuff happening under the rear window. Well, I remember back to another oddball car. Dodge made a turbo minivan back in the day, like in 1988 or 89. I think monster. Yeah, I mean a turbo minivan. That's that's as you know crazy as it thinks. But of course, look at what's popular now. My wife's Mercedes has twin turbos on it. It's an SUV. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the technology and and of course, you know, technology is leading us to electric cars. What's your thought? And is is it going to happen in this scale that all the manufacturers think it's going to happen? Well, here's the thing. I mean, with every major shift, there's a lot of hype. Right. And I say to myself, until if you, t- if you look at any traffic jam, take a snapshot when every one of those cars can recharge at the same time, we're there with electricity. In the meantime, we're crawling our way up. But if you watch the TV ads and magazine ads, it's coming here, it's here, it's here. Well, yes, but you're going to find the pump. It's going to be a long time. We're going to have gas, but electric cars are fine. I have no problem with them. In the end, the only downside is what do we do with those batteries when there's tens of millions of these things going to the junkyard? How does that kind of get handled? I don't know. know, I'm not not afraid of them. They're awesome. But uh, gas is here. Gas will be right. And the corner gas station ain't going away tomorrow. Well, and the good news is, is most of the collectors and large collectors of petroleum based uh, 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 vehicles uh, have the ear of their congressman and their senator and even maybe their president. So they're yeah. they're going to fight for these things because, you know, I always say when gasoline is outlawed, well, only outlaws have gasoline. So <laughs> when we were, if you've got time for our last segment, we'd love for you to stick around, Steve. So when we return, uh, we'll continue our discussion with Steve Mignante and uh, who knows what we'll talk about. We're talking about everything today so uh, we'll see you back here in a minute if you want the truth about politics medicine weapons classic cars and more you'll want to tune in to america's web radio you can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on itunes spotify or your favorite podcast app that's www.americaswebradio.com It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And here we are back at the Classic Auto Mall studios at the Classic Auto Mall facility in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, which is in the middle of nowhere, if you don't know. We're an hour west of Philadelphia. 
uh, an hour east of uh, Hershey, Carlisle, and and Steve's been to Carlisle, so I'm I'm trying to get him to Classic Auto Mall. Yeah, we got next time you do a Mopar show out there. Right? Yeah, there you sure. go. Yeah, they, I tell you, Carlisle was busy this past weekend that we were there. Although this will air next week, so it'll be two whatever. But it was busy out there, and it's and it's and it's great to see that swap meets are not dead because just like the magazine, you know, it's much easier to buy a bumper online and have it shipped to your doorstep than it is to drag one through the mud in Carlisle. Do you still go to swap meets? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing with the swap meets, it's the, the precarious thrill. You don't know what you're going to find. Whereas online, you know you're looking for this thing. And so it's, it's, it, it takes both. It takes both. Sure. What uh, What's your go-to daily driver? It's going to be mundane like mine is, like a rusty old – I have a rusty old Yukon XL that I usually get in. What do you, what do you get into every day? Yeah. 2002 GMC Sonoma with a 4.8 LS swap. So it's (laughs) an old van engine, but it runs fine. It has a single exhaust. You know, I can pull around anything. You know, I mean, it's not all crop, but it's kind of quick. So that's my daily drive. The utility is there. And I have a a 2009 Volvo V70 wagon thing that was given to me. So that's that's the winter bomb. Right, right, right. I drive around with the title in the glove box right now. And in case it poops out, I can leave it. You know, I Great car, I love you know every the Volvo. It's a great line, great sure. car. With that said, it's it's was given to me, so I have no investment. I also have a smart car. Yes, I have a smart car. Wow. I had a girlfriend for a while who um, she she loved it. We bought it. We put sixty thousand miles on it, and uh, it's 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 an okay. They're great little cars. I call it the modern metropolitan. Sure. And so I own one of those things, and you really you had a smart car. Yes, I did. You know? <laughs> so, and, I, and I have a Ford Fairmont funny car. Which is my fourth uh, creature. Sure, but. sure. Well, you know what's interesting is that you know circumstances belie what you're going to drive. I, I for years I was in the museum, classic car museum business, and I had an Oldsmobile silhouette, uh, which is the as John Travolta said in Get Shorty, the silhouette uh, is the Cadillac of minivans. So, <laughs> but it was it was embarrassing. You know, we'd all be sitting around at dinner. You know, the conversation always turns to what's in your garage, and you know that, that always happens. And you're around a bunch of, and usually I'm the poorest guy at the table when we're at it somewhere, and so. Everybody went around, and I've got a Ford GT, and I've got this, and I've got a Cobra, and I've got and I, I've got an Oldsmobile silhouette. Of course, it became more conversation about that than any of the other cars. So. But you yeah, taught I mean, me something uh, at the Palm Beach Barrett Jackson auction that I never knew, and I love these cars, and I'm ashamed to say I didn't know it. The '67 through '70 Cadillac Eldorado, which I think is a dynamite car with a 429 and a 500 and a four, you know, but it. Almost had a V12 or a V16 in it. Yeah, it's, it's true. If you, if you Google it, Google Cadillac V Future engine program. And as we know, Cadillac in the 1920s, the Depression kind of put an end to this, but they had V12 and V16 engines. The V12s were built for a long time. The 16s were like an exclusive thing. Well, Cadillac wanted to return to its V16 and 12 routes in the in the 60s, and they were really seriously thinking about doing a V12 or a 16 for the Elder, which is why it's so long under the hood. If you look, you see it's a six foot long hood, by the way. Right. And, um, so, but at the GM Heritage Collection, there's actually an existing example of the V Future V12. I think there's a 16 there too. Wow. And it's a, it's a weird engine. It's not two eights lined up. It's a little bit narrower. I think it's a 72 degree or something, not a 90. But um, yeah, it was meant to you know recapture the the, the, the 
glamour. And of course, we know that Cadillac did have what the 16 show car eight, 10 years ago. So it's an idea that's, um, you know, when there's the luxury of doing a thing like that, they do it. That's awesome. But yes, the Eldo came close to having a, a V16 or 12. Sure, sure. And, and they were, I mean, they were with the 472 and the 429 and the four, 500 and all the engines they had, they were very powerful cars of the day. I mean, the 500 was the biggest motor, I guess, you know, offered, uh, uh on the market, but, uh, they were always good looking cars. My grandfather had one and, and I didn't know much about cars at the time, but it was impressive. We, I, I knew it was cool. I, I just didn't necessarily know why. And you know what? What's interesting though is I wonder what kind of induction they would have had on that car because remember the V12s and the V16s of the earlier years had usually just a big tall one barrel on top of them. You know, one thing I will say is that uh, I was at Hot Rod Magazine for about seven years. Uh, was that the dates were uh, August 19th, 1997 through January 20th, 2004. And all I come counting, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we did a story called uh, Behind Behind the Toy Box and we went to the GM Heritage Collection and, and the guy named Jerry Wallace, I think, Gary Wallace, Wallace, find him Wallace, he's in charge of the Cadillac Historical Collection and uh, he led us to a photo archive and it was actually a picture of a V12 Cadillac on an engine diner with 12 Hillborn stacks. Oh, man. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, this is like an AFX dream. Now, Cadillac never got involved in Superstock or FX racing, but they were toying with RAM induction. And for whatever reasons, by feeling their, their, their feet, if you will, with length of tubes. But if you go to that, if you Google Hot Rod Magazine, Beyond the Toy Box, Steve Magnanti right. story, there probably will be images of that. But there's one shot that we took, a picture of a picture showing the Hillborn style injection on the Cadillac B12 on a GM dyno in 19. 19- 64 or five. Wow. It's the craziest darn thing. So, uh, so the induction on that would have been probably caught probably a couple of four barrels. I would guess. Yeah, I would say so too, because Cadillac had, had already had a couple of four barrels with the, uh, with a couple of the cars from the fifties. So right. Eldos. Yeah. The Eldos. And, uh, and so. And plus fuel. Yeah. And those big bat wing air cleaners that they had too, yeah. <laughs> which were so cool. Fuel distribution on an engine as long as 12 or 16, one essential carburetor, no matter what it is, it's going to be kind of lean on the ends unless you tune for the, get a tune for the farthest hole, right? Sure, you sure. Know? Yeah, that makes sense. Don't even think about stuff like that. You know, I like that your technical mind makes me think about stuff like that. So <laughs> we, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because if you, you know, people that you meet in this hobby, uh, who have a technical mind like you do, you know, I've been around cars a long, long time and I learn something every day as I'm sure that you do. Um, sure. what surprises you though about this hobby the, the most? I mean, is it, I, I like the people part about it. I, I think that people don't realize that that's the almost as much fun as it. And you doing Bear Jackson for so many years, you've had to have met some wonderful people along the way. Yeah, it is true. I mean, just the people are really what makes the hobby special. But but the other thing that surprised me, you can never know everything. I'm I'm not an expert. I'm just a perpetual student. <laughs> you know, be curious. And the trouble with it is, is that you know, you I, we can never conjure anything beyond publicly released information from dealer brochures, magazine articles. We can't conjure the engineers who created these these engines, these disc brakes, these suspensions. Those guys are either gone or, or they, they just was a day of work. But um, So it, it, it pays. Every story has a story and another one behind it. Uh, you know, the brake drum on the Chevelle, there are five different variations. Some are Ford, some are cast, some are, you know, and it's um, everything is a story. And that's, you keep learning. You'll never know it all, but keep trying. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are your takes on, uh, I, I saw an article recently uh, in somewhere, it's online 
line, I'm certain, uh, the difference, you know, the preference between a big block and a small block engine. And uh, well, interesting arguments on both sides. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say this, you know, if you're, if your driving is going to take place on public roads, you've got to think about staying out of jail and not hurting people. Right. <laughs> so you know, so you, for me, small block corner carvers, I don't know, because you can't really use them. I like a big block that gets me from point A to B as shortly as possible. And the party, the, the, the violence occurs so quickly that nobody knows what happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Whereas some of my friends are like, they're into like turbocharged four cylinders and stuff like that. Trouble is, you, you need three city blocks to really get it going, you know? Whereas like a 500 inch, uh, you know, Mopar wedge in a, in a 62 dart or something like that is, uh, that's, that's an instant acceleration machine and you're back down. So I like big cubic inches. And, and again, I like obeying traffic laws because, sure. you know, I don't like, well, you find out that it's hard to test a car's performance anymore these days because the older you get, the more you think about something coming out of a driveway at you, a deer, uh, a, a, a dog, uh, another car, uh, somebody, yeah, whatever. There's so many things that, that you just have to be so careful of nowadays. And the older you get, you know, I got on a dirt bike recently and I used to ride them when I was a kid, like a maniac. And I got on one the other day and I might as well have just been on a moped. <laughs> Yeah. I was just putting around because the power on those things, the power to weight ratio is like, ungo- it's not even measurable, you know? So now do, we, do, you, do you follow much in the drag racing and racing series much, or do you even have time to, to pay attention? You know, to that I, stuff? I, I don't that much, you know, I still appreciate what's happening and, and um, you know, NASCAR and stuff like that, but I kind of tuned out when the factories no longer, like in 1975, right. you know, when the, the restrictor plates and evening the field, and we became more about the drivers, not the cars. You know, I, it's all important. But for me, no, I don't have much time for that. Well, know, the problem I, is, is there's only so many hours in the day to do all the things that you do. And I mean, you know, the old days of, you know, being off for the weekend or going on vacation where you can forget that is you're like me, you have to answer emails no matter where you are. And, you know, if you're on a cruise somewhere, you're still got to answer emails and phone calls. Otherwise, you'll be buried when you get back. But but when racing meant, you know, Ford and GM and Chrysler or Honda and Toyota duking it out and proving, you know, winning on Sunday and selling on Monday, when that was the point of it, I I was into that. You could root for your favorite brand, that kind of thing. And that seems like it's a secondary consideration, a third consideration these days, which is cool. There's an audience for everything. But, uh, you know, yeah, so I don't really watch too much of it. Sure. I I pay attention a little bit to Formula One just because it's amazing that, you know, the technology. Although I miss the days when Formula One cars would rev to 19,000 RPM which seems almost impossible. How does something happen that many times in a minute? Yes. That seems to be almost impossible to think of. And uh, yet they were building them like that. Of course, again, they've kind of gotten to the same thing too. Usually the, the winner of a Formula One race is gone 40 seconds ahead of everybody on the, by the third lap. And he gets no TV time because the, the right. duel is between fifth and sixth. <laughs> I love it when you see like a McLaren or one of the other teams, they're, they're jumping up and down because they came in eighth place because they got right. points. Yeah. I like so, stuff like that, but that's, it's all good. It's all important. Sure. Yeah. I, and I tell you, the racing that I love that I miss with the rally cars, those things were crazy. Watching yeah, those world me. rally cars, yeah. They yeah. Were and Walter World and the Sport Quattro, this insane, and, and building the homologation cars, where they're talking FX cars mm-hmm. from the 60s or the rally homologation cars, the RS2000 and Ford. And, you know, they apparently couldn't sell those things, so the police in England used those things 
shifters. So that's, that's, ins- I love that kind of stuff when racing trickles down to your driveway. That's Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. I think you can use it anywhere without going to jail, but it's still cool. Well, you yeah. certainly see those cars now selling at auction for big money. Uh, the RS2000, which is a little Ford that, and it's amazing what Ford was able to do, especially in the, you know, the eighties with the four cylinder engine and uh, Michael Cranafus, the guy who was head of Ford racing, uh, SVT and, uh, they were, they were building four cylinders with, you know, seven or 800 horsepower. I mean, that's just, that's hard to believe and hard to imagine, but somehow they figured it out. And that's what you got to love about technology. Although, you know, they'll tell you nowadays, why do all the cars look the same? Cause all the guys are at to have the same education and there's, and there's the goal is the same is to get fuel economy. I mean, my Jeep has a 10 speed automatic transmission. Yes. You know, one thing I love is that the Challenger came out in 2008 and the engineers freely said we gave away a half a mile per, uh, per gallon for the recessed grill, which gives it its personality. And in other words, there was a surplus of economy through the six speed at that point or five speed automatic. And right. it was, but still it was efficient enough. They could afford to do that. And thank goodness, because when you give away the cars, uh, visuals, you often are on your way to not selling a car, Absolutely. you know, and it's awesome. The challenger is still selling, still selling. Is, because people like them, and that's good. Well, it, it was. I think, in my opinion, it was better done than the new Camaros uh, from a from an aesthetic standpoint. Uh, yes, yeah, nothing. Yeah, I love them all. Yeah. Ever try and sit in the back of a Camaro? And, mm, yeah. You know, that, <laughs> back yeah. one up because of the way that it kind of tapers in the back. You have a hard time backing it up. You get a little bit uh, dis- dis- discombobulated, as my grandmother used to say. My, my hope is that. Uh, Mustang, Camaro, and Challenger will continue forever because when you have a three-way fight, it's better than a two-way fight. And Chrysler was out of the game in the 80s. The front-wheel drive stuff is interesting. Don't send me hate mail, but it wasn't <laughs> like an IROC or a 5-0. You know? sure, absolutely. Back in the party, the three-way, three-way battle is always the best kind. So I hope that Camaro sticks around. Yeah, me too. I, I'm with you 100% on that. And with that said, we will finish our podcast with our guest, Steve Yante. Steve, thank you so much for being on today. And come see us in Morgantown. we got to give you the nickel tour. Right. All right. Take care, guys. Next week on the show, uh, I believe it's Ray Evernham. We're having the crew chief, uh, Jeff Gordon, and uh, we'll have him on the show next week and talk about all kinds of things from North Carolina and that good old Southern draw. We'll see you next week. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you. We appreciate your listening to our show today. And don't forget, when you're in southeastern Pennsylvania, come visit us in person. We're open Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Wednesday is our late day, and we're here from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Saturdays were open from 9 a.m. to noon, and we are closed on Sundays. You can reach us by telephone at 888-227-0914 or via email at info at classicautomall.com. To reach the show, email us at podcast at classicautomall.com. The Classic Automall Podcast is produced by Car Smarts Media. Theme song by the Pat Travers Band. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.